Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Would you join me in prayer? Faithful God, we turn now to your word. Thanks for letting us hear it. Now we pray that it would come to life in our hearts. You've given us, uh, each of us, the opportunity to be good soil so that when you scatter the seed of the word, that it grows, that it produces good fruit, that honors you. And so in these next moments, we pray that you would do that through your servant, through the time that we have here together. Uh, Thank you for the witness of Ezekiel and how uh, wonderful it's been to look at this book and how challenging it's been. Uh, Would you lead us forward faithfully in this time? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, great to see all of you here today. Happy week after 4th of July. Uh, My family and I just got back from a trip to Texas, and uh, I'll share some stories from that in a moment. Uh, but we missed you, and we're glad to be back here and worship with you. Uh, today's text is within a chapter of Ezekiel that's really, really challenging. If you want to pick a passage from the Bible that's really hard to read out loud, go to Ezekiel 16. Like, don't pick this for your family devotionals before dinner. There's some pretty raw indictments against the people of God. That's a theme throughout the book of Ezekiel. Remember, it's a prophecy, it's spoken by God toward his people to say, hey, you've missed it. You are adrift. You are astray. Come back to me. He calls them back to himself. This chapter uses the image of a bride, and the bridegroom we know is Jesus Christ. And we know through the revelation of Jesus Christ that he's trustworthy, that we can trust him. And I was thinking about that word trust this week because that's going to be a really important theme in the passage. And there's a warning about trust. So before we get into that, Think with me for just a minute about something that you trust. What do you find trustworthy? When you tell somebody, I trust so-and-so, or I find you know, this person to be trustworthy, what does that mean, to put your trust in someone or something? When we first uh, moved here to Kirkland a couple of years ago, uh, one of our cars needed a bunch of work. And so I called up a buddy of mine from seminary. He lived here for five or six years before us. And so he kind of knew the lay of the land, right? Isn't it great to have friends like this that can help you out? And I said, hey, uh, one of our cars needs some work. Where do you take your car to get, you know, the oil changed, to have a mechanic work on it? And he told me the name of the place that he goes to, and he said, they're trustworthy. Isn't that a great, like, compliment for a mechanic, right? Like, they're not going to sell you stuff you don't need. They're trustworthy, That's a good compliment. I hope that people would say that about me and about us. When I think of something that's trustworthy, I think of something I can put my weight down on. In other words, if you're you're laying flooring or you're building something, and the first time you ever step onto it, you're kind of going like, okay, is this going to work? Am I going to be okay? Is this trustworthy? What are some things that we trust, but that kind of let us down from time to time? What do we put our weight down on and it doesn't work out well for us? The longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize in every congregation I've served and in my own heart, we put trust in things that fail us again and again and again. We live in a part of the world where knowledge is really important, a lot of knowledge workers in our community. When we trust our knowledge and our training, that's great and good. But every one of us who works in a field like that has had a moment where we go, I don't have knowledge for this. I didn't have training for for this. Think of a Rubik's Cube. You encounter a Rubik's Cube in your work where there's a project that's too big, where there's a management issue that's so complicated, where you're trying to build a new business and you're going like, I have some knowledge, but not for this. This is outside of my expertise. I've seen that so many times in the work that I do. I trust my knowledge until it comes up short. I trust my financial advisor 
with our money until the economy craters. And then I'm calling him going, what's going on, right? Like, we've seen this. You trust your spouse until things fall apart. You trust your job to provide for you until it's not there anymore. You trust your health until you get sick. These are not bad things, and it's natural and normal for us to put our trust in it. But a strong warning that comes to us from this particular chapter of the book of Ezekiel is about putting our trust in what the passage calls beauty. That passage that Heather just read for us, it's so beautiful. It's about the bride being adorned and adored. She has all these gifts given to her, and the bride is an image for the people of God. It's an image for how God loves his people, how he loves to celebrate them and rejoices over them. But then the people take all that that's been given to them, and they put their trust in those gifts, not in the God who gives it to them. And I know that sounds a little esoteric. We're going to get into kind of how this plays out in real life, but you need to know this. There's a big warning in the passage today about trusting in something besides Jesus Christ. And so I want us just to write down this phrase uh, in your bulletin. There's a big section for notes in there. Write this out. You trusted in your beauty. Can you say that with me? You trusted in your beauty. Can we say that one more time? You trusted in your beauty. Write it out. And then above the word beauty, just write a line, like not an underline, but an overline. And later on, I'm going to ask you to kind of fill in that blank. You trusted in blank. Every one of us has something that we're trusting in. We have something that we're kind of putting our weight down on, and maybe we shouldn't be, or we definitely shouldn't be. You're not going to have to share this. This is just going to be more of an opportunity to reflect. But you trusted in your beauty. That's the line that follows what Heather read for us. And it's an indictment against the people of Israel for trusting something that actually belongs to God when they should be trusting God. We're going to have a chance to kind of reflect on that together. So there's an outline for what we're studying this morning. I'll have Kevin put this up on the screen. If you're an outline person, you're welcome to write this down. Uh, These are actually gospel principles. I think these are things that are deeply rooted in the witness of Jesus Christ, and they come to life in today's passage in some powerful ways. So the first one is God made us and all we have is his. Can you say that with me? God made us and all we have is his. The second one, we gave ourselves the credit and turned from God. Can you say that with me? We gave ourselves the credit and turned from God. And the third one is our hope is in God's strength, not our own. Can you say that with me? Our hope is in God's strength, not our own. If we say it together, we might remember it a little bit more. Now, again, you can read Ezekiel 16 this week. I'll have some suggestions about some other passages to read. It's a tough nut to crack. It is a really difficult passage to read. Today is going to be more of kind of a flyover of Ezekiel 16. We're not going to get into it line by line. But we've kind of introduced the theme of the bride is the people of God. God, or Jesus Christ as we now know him, is the bridegroom. And God is saying to the bride, I've given you everything. And when you read through the first couple of lines, basically uh, verses 1 through 8, you see this. God has given everything to this bride. She's been given amazing gifts. She's been given life and purpose. She's washed clean. She's anointed. God spares no expense in celebrating his beloved. The point that I'm trying to make here is this. Everything that the bride has is a gift. Everything that we have been given is a gift. The passage clearly states that God is the author of all of her blessings. Everything that is good that has come her way is not from her own effort. It is a gift from God. This is summarized uh, in verse 14. If you want to listen or follow along, this is Ezekiel 16, 14. God says, Your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. 
For it was perfect because of my splendor that I had bestowed on you, says the Lord God. I I love the pronouns in this verse because your fame, the nations, on account of your beauty, all that's great. But then the key source here is that it's able to be beautiful. This bride is able to be beautiful because of my splendor that I had bestowed upon you. The source is not the bride. The bride isn't doing the work here. The bride is simply receiving the gifts. How do you respond when someone gives you a great gift? Think of the last time somebody gave you a gift, and it maybe wasn't like the biggest thing. It maybe wasn't like Oprah giving everybody a PT cruiser. Maybe it was just something really sweet that showed you that that person giving you the gift really knows you, really cares about you, really loves you, really values you. While we were in Texas, uh, Jill was uh, thankfully able to go do some shopping and be able to kind of get away from kids for a little while. I hung out with them so she could just enjoy this time. And she went out looking for stuff and happened to find one of the greatest gifts that I have ever received. You're going to be blown away by the beauty of this. Kevin, are you ready? This is a t-shirt I might wear every day for the rest of my life. (laughs) If you're listening on the podcast, it is a Texas Longhorns logo, but here's the beautiful thing. The skyline of the city of Austin is in the back of it. I love that. Jill brought this shirt to me, and I was just, I I really, I I said to myself, I'm going to wear this every day. Like, I might be wearing it right now underneath this shirt. Y'all wouldn't know it. What that showed to me was that I'm loved because I'm known. When God gives us gifts, he doesn't just give us impersonal trinkets. He doesn't just find stuff for us. He gives us gifts because he knows us and he loves us. And he says, I can see how this is going to bless you. We respond to gifts like that with gratitude. That's it. We respond with gratitude. And how often in our lives, when we walk through our home, when we go out to our car, when we sit down at our desk at work, how often do we sit there and we go, this is fine, but what I really want is that. That reaction keeps us from being grateful, does it not? Can we really enjoy what God has given? Can we really give thanks if all we're doing is looking down the road at the next house, at the next car, at the next job, at the next spouse? No. You always want what you don't have. And that keeps us from being grateful. And God's people miss the opportunity to be grateful. He's saying all this beautiful imagery about what the bride has given. I've given you this, I've given you this, I've given you this. And he only asked that they would be grateful and they would respond faithfully and they can't do it. They don't do it. So Bethany, how's your practice of gratitude? How are you at expressing your ability to just say thank you? Thanks for doing that for me. Thanks for covering for me. Thanks for cleaning up the kitchen. Do you, like I often do, lean toward, but I don't have this? That will cut off your gratitude at the knees. While we were on vacation, uh, my son and I uh, were playing football. We were thrown around the football in the cul-de-sac in front of my parents' house. And this is the same street I grew up on, so it's really fun to you know, just get out there with my son and throw the ball around. And it's hot. Like, it's really hot. Like, Will and I are trying to find uh, places to play in the shade from all these big live oak trees. So, like, you stand over there in the shade, and I'll throw the ball to you, and I'll stand over here in the shade and throw the ball to you. And it's just this cheap Nerf football. Right? There's nothing to it. He picked it up at the gift shop at the camp that we go to every year. So we're throwing this around. He was super excited to throw it around with me. Let's play with this ball at the pool, Dad. Let's go to the pool later. I want to throw this ball to you in the pool. Okay, buddy. God, it's hot. Did I mention it was hot? It was really hot. 
And at the end of my parents' cul-de-sac, where the street becomes straight, there are these two storm drains. You know where this is going. And we're throwing the football, and I'm looking at the storm drains, and I grew up playing around these storm drains. We shouldn't be throwing this ball here. Like, he's excited about this. This is really going to suck if the ball... Oh. And I threw it, and it went past Will and straight into the storm drain. All the engineers in the room would have been completely entertained by watching me try to take a shovel and a rake and go into the storm drain and try to lift that thing out of there, right? Like, just, oh my goodness, right? English major, I have no idea how things work. And what I'm doing in that moment is I'm sad because my son wants to play with this ball. I'm also kicking myself for going like, oh, I should know better. Anybody say that to yourself this last week? I should know better. That was so dumb. I should have seen this coming. And then, it's so funny, Heather mentioned this earlier, and that was in my notes, and I didn't know you were going to say that. But I started thinking of this line from Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And my anxiety and my frustration over a silly football, I'm reminded that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The football is the Lord's. The storm drain is the Lord's. My time to spend with my son is the Lord's. My encouragement to us, Bethany, this week, if you're trying to figure out a way to practice gratitude, sure, you could write some thank you notes, you could call somebody in your life and thank them. Yes, do those things. When you are faced with something frustrating, when you are faced with a challenge this week, when life throws you a curveball, I want to encourage us from my own experience, practice saying this to yourself, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And you know what that does? It takes the anxiety and the, oh, I'm so dumb, I should have known this, and it replaces this with this incredible peace. Because it's scripture and it's true and because our hearts are made to praise God and to be filled with gratitude for God, not to, not to be bemoaning all the things that we don't have or the things that we messed up. Can you say that with me? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Let's say it together. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I would encourage you, read Psalm 24 devotionally this week. You can read Ezekiel 16 devotionally. It's going to be a bummer, but read Psalm 24 and be encouraged. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Use that as a tool this week. So that's part one. Everything we have is God's. All we have is his. He has given us everything. He has given everything specifically to his bride, the people of God, the Israelites. He's brought them out of slavery. He's helped them into the promised land. And over time, instead of practicing gratitude, they start to complain. They start to look elsewhere. And we all do this. Now here's the challenge. We're talking now about how we give ourselves the credit and how we turn from God. When we trust in our beauty, when we give ourselves the credit, we always misuse God's gifts. Here's what I mean. If you read further along in Ezekiel 16, after the passage that Heather read for us, line by line by line states how the gifts that were given to the bride, she turned and used for anything and everything except giving glory to God. How she uh, takes the clothing that's been given to her and turns it into an altar to a false god. How she pours out all the nice perfume and throws away the food and gives it all to, to creations of her own mind or of pagan gods or of anything like that. And the point that the prophet is trying to make is that in the absence of focusing on God, we, we read our own press. We drink the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? We start to believe, like, I did this for myself. I made it. I built my career. I've got the beauty thing down. I've got my power down. I have this leadership position because I have earned it and I deserve it. When we trust in our beauty or our savvy or our degrees, our intelligence, we will misuse the gifts of God. 
Remember that blank space at the top of your outline. I encourage you to write that out. You trusted in your beauty. Now's your opportunity to think with me about one thing. There are many things, but one thing that each of us trusts in instead of Jesus Christ. We try to put our weight down on it instead of putting our weight down on Jesus, and it always goes sideways. Is it literal beauty for you, men or women? Trying to work on your outward appearance so that it's as pleasing as possible for everybody? Is it your power, your ability to say to somebody, get this done, and they go get it done? Is it your intelligence, knowledge workers, your degrees, your pedigrees? A place of struggle for me is that I trust that I've got it up here to figure out whatever it is out there. That if I apply my brain to it long enough, right, this is Winnie the Pooh going, think, think, think. I have a Winnie the Pooh problem. I think I can think my way out of things or I can organize my way out of things or solve things if I just think about it long enough and hard enough. There's no room for Jesus Christ in that equation. It's just my brain. What's one thing you personally struggle with, you placed your trust in, and you know it, it's just letting you down every single time? We're going to take just a few seconds, and I'm actually going to encourage all of us just to reflect on this silently. I'll have Kevin put this up on the screen if you want to think about it in terms of a prayer. Jesus, I'm trusting in blank instead of you. Please forgive me and heal me. Let's take just a moment and listen. Each of us has one thing at least, many things most likely, that we are putting in that place where only God belongs to be. We sang about this earlier. Take my heart, it is thine own. Let it be thy royal throne. There is something else vying for that throne every day. And maybe it's your mind like it is for me. Maybe it's your strength. Ask for God's help. Don't just try to solve it. Don't just try to figure out the Rubik's Cube. Ask for God to help you lift that up and name it. Share it with somebody you love that you can be safe with. Ask for forgiveness for putting your trust in that. This week I started a new prayer list. I keep a a list of people and things that I'm praying for in the back of my journal. And I started a prayer list for myself this week. And what it is, is it's things that I most need healing for. Things that I've just struggled with long term, places of brokenness in my own life, where I'm putting my trust in something else beside Jesus Christ. I know these things, but I was convicted this week that I really haven't been praying for God's healing over those things in my life. And I don't need to go into gory detail about what what those things are to y'all. But I would just say this. A lot of that stuff I would never have discovered on my own. I actually needed some help, a counselor, to help me see these things. If you've never been to a counselor, go do it. Go dig deep into these places of brokenness in your own life and ask for God's healing. Ask for it repeatedly, continually, because he will bring it. The only way we're going to get through these idols, which is precisely the problem that was facing the people of Israel, is to name them and ask for God to replace them. So Bethany, if you want to take on some courageous homework this week, start naming your idols. Start asking for help. Don't expect to be able to figure it out yourself. Find a way to step into it with courage. So that's part two. Part three is where we're going to start talking about hope. We've got to start talking about hope, right? 
at the very end of the text, the last section, all these scathing indictments have come through. The people of Israel just are getting torpedoed left and right. Like, man, is anything good going to come from this? Yes, hope does break through. The Lord says this, I will reaffirm my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. After all this, after all the stuff that Israel's done to misuse their gifts, to turn their backs on God, to put their trust in beauty or something else besides God, God in his mercy says to them, I will reaffirm my covenant with you. You will know that I am the Lord. Earlier in the passage, God says his covenant will be an everlasting covenant. What does that mean? Why is that a a source of hope? A covenant is an agreement between God and people where all the power to live into that agreement comes from God. It's an agreement between God and people and where all the power to live into that covenant comes not from people, but from God. This is very different than a contract. Most of us think of these kinds of relationships in terms of contracts. This is part of my wedding talk. So if you all ever come to a wedding that I do, you're going to hear this. You're welcome. A contract is when you go to your barista and say, hey, I'd like a latte. And you exchange money for goods and services. And if your barista makes that latte like you want it every single time, you'll continue to be in that relationship. But if your barista makes your latte wrongly, you will take your business elsewhere. You'll go for, there's another coffee shop down the street. It's Seattle. You can throw a rock and hit a coffee shop, right? Make my latte amazing every time and I will pay you money. And if I don't, I'll take my business elsewhere. That is a contract. That is a terrible way to try to navigate relationships. Covenant is different. Covenant says, I can be in this relationship even if the latte is not good. I can have my wife share hard truths with me. I can hear it even though it's painful, even though I fight against it. And I need to stay in this relationship because it's more important that I grow and become the person that God intends me to be and intends her to be than it is for me to be comfortable. A contract, you can never rest. You can never let your guard down. Because you're always having to prove yourself. You're always having to make the latte right. What if I screw it up? They'll leave me. A covenant's different. A covenant is where we can be safe. A covenant is where we don't have to white-knuckle our lives. We can instead be open-handed and say, God, I trust you. I'm safe in this relationship with you. It doesn't mean it's perfect. So the covenant of marriage doesn't mean it's perfect. The covenants that we make as a church when we agree to bless kids, when we dedicate kids, we agree together that we're going to invest in their lives. We covenant to do that together in our imperfections, in our inability to get stuff right. We're going to do it. We're going to commit to it. You make a promise empowered by God and you get to pour your life into that covenant every single day. That's what God had offered the people of Israel. And it had nothing to do with them getting it right. Nothing. It had everything to do with his power. Here's the point. God will be faithful to his people forever. God will be faithful to his people forever. No matter how much, like the bride, they turn their back, they misuse the gifts, they they get away from God. Despite all of that, it was never about the bride's faithfulness. It was about God's faithfulness. It was about his provision. It was about his keeping relationship through Jesus Christ. Another scripture passage I encourage you to just reflect on this week. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That is a promise. And that promise exists in a covenant. How do we know this is true? What about all the suffering in the world? What about those times when I felt like God let me down? Was he being faithful? Did I, what, like what's going on there? 
My encouragement is, is if you look hard enough, if you look long enough, if you pray, you will see God's faithfulness, not necessarily in the moment, more often in hindsight, and very often in ways that we do not expect. So if you've been through a season in your life, you lost somebody, you lost a job, you've been through pain, you, there's no way God was in that. Don't tell me that he was in that. I, I, that was just a valley. There was nothing there. Go back and look at it again. It won't be like you expect, but he will be faithful. Because like the scripture says, I will affirm my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord now and always. Now and always. For me, this means that my time with the Lord, when I am with him, that is the safest place I can be. Because I know that I'm loved and because I know that out there I will mess things up but I can relax and not white knuckle my relationship with the Lord because I'm safe. Because it's not about my ability to be faithful. That's important. But if that's all I'm banking on, I'm hosed. It's the faithfulness of God. Covenant means that I can trust God to be faithful. And so can we. And so could the people of Israel. And as we'll see as we continue in our journey through the book of Ezekiel, they have their opportunities to step back into that covenant faithfulness because God cares about them. And if you have wrestled with that, if you have struggled with that this week or in your life, you're not alone. And I don't expect this sermon to wrap all that up and put a tidy bow on it. But what I can tell you through the book of Ezekiel and through the witness of the scriptures is God is faithful. He is faithful. And his covenant is the safest place for any of us to be. None of the disciples that gathered around Jesus Christ expected him to do what he did on the night that he was betrayed. They didn't know it was the night that he was going to be betrayed, and they certainly didn't know that he was going to come and welcome them into a new covenant, a new agreement, a new place where they could pour out their lives in safety and fulfillment together. They didn't know that's what was going to happen, but it did. And so as we come now to the communion table to remember the new covenant, I want to invite each of you just to pray with me and I'm going to invite those who are serving to come forward. And we're going to remember Jesus' words together at the table. Would you join me in prayer?